a Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxis Tires and Alpine Stars Protects on RacerXOnline.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,000 podcasts delivered with over 7 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out and donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome everybody to the Fly Racing Racer X Podcast with Mike Chavez, real interesting guy. Real cool guy. Worked for uh, a lot of riders back in the day, and it's got some really great stories. And presently at Kawasaki, dealing with all of the media guys and everything else. So thank you uh, for listening. Appreciate it. Flyracing.com, of course. Big sponsors, big sporters, sponsors and supporters, I guess, of this show and many things that we do over at Pulp MX. So please check them out if you can. If you're in the market for some new gear, a new helmet, watercraft stuff, snowmobile stuff, mountain bike stuff, Fly Racing's got you covered. They've got a whole line of hard parts as well. Their firepower line of batteries and chains are fantastic. So please check out flyracing.com for everything that you need. Also, Maxis is on board. MXST tires developed by Jeremy McGrath. You know who that is, right? Yep. Uh, Jeremy McGrath developed the uh, MXSTs. AJ Catanzaro used them in Supercross this year. And if you're in the market for a high-end tire, please take a look at the Maxxis line of tires. And uh, the IT is coming out really soon at that. So thanks to Maxxis. Great mountain bike tires as well. Thank you, Alpine Stars. The Tech 10, the most advanced booted motocross today. It's got that booty. It's got redesigned for 2019. You know that brand by now. You know the way they work and, and everything they do to make them fit. Great boots. Uh, I love the Tech 7s, the A1 chest protector, the A4 chest protector. If you're looking for something a little smaller that goes underneath the jersey, check that out. Their bionic neck support system, of course, as well. So uh, let's get into the uh, podcast with Mike Chavez talking about starting at Yamaha way back in the 80s and going all the way through his career and what he's done and, and what he's doing now and dealing with magazines and dealing with shootouts and, and all of that stuff. Real interesting guy. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Stick around for the Bradshaw stories. All right, here we go. As promised on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast show, a guy that uh, I've been wanting to do a podcast with for a long time now, very interesting uh, fellow who's got a, a path into the industry that really neat neat way and worked with some of the really uh, legends of the sport as well over the time, and so it's uh, it's interesting to talk to him from Kawasaki and uh, Kawasaki R&D, Kawasaki PR, working on with motorcycles and, and uh, the magazines. Mike Chavez, what's up Chavez, how are you man? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Steve? I'm good. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I guess, as we talked about, you work with the magazines, with the new models of Kawasaki. Uh, you know, you, you work on the bikes if, if the media guys need something. You're at the launches, everything else. So when Kawasaki launches the new 450 last year, uh, what was there, like two parts that were the same on it, Chavez, or three parts from the previous year, something like that? <laughs> Yeah, basically, yeah. I mean, the the bike was all new last year. You know, they had the biggest feature was the electric start, you know, yeah. which everybody's been waiting for. Yeah. And then, but the motor was all new that, you know, from yeah. basically the whole engine top end, it was all new system. You know, they went with the finger followers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
um, you know, the transmission was all new. I mean, it was it was yeah a big package with a chassis and suspension, and so yeah, it was all new bike. So for a guy like you, that's that's awesome, right? That makes your job so much easier. Probably makes it more exciting. Probably just just I mean, it's just all better, right? I mean, that had to be pretty cool for you to to have that model come out, and then also as we've talked about a few times on the podcast, for a brand new model like they did, you Kawasaki did a great job with it. Yeah, I mean, R&D, they, you know, those guys did a fantastic job. I mean, Cowie just, you know, KHI, those guys just, they nailed it. I mean, I, as far as, like, if, out of all the new models that I've been, because I've been at, at Cowie 11 years now. Yep. And that model, I mean, right out of the box was was great. I mean, yep. they couldn't have did it any better, you know. It was a, a fantastic bike. Yeah, it makes your job a lot easier as opposed to rolling out, say, the 2018 KX450 and being like, uh yeah, here you guys go. We uh, we have revised suspension settings and uh, we changed a few right. things, you know. So right, yeah, we had those air forks. So yeah, that was tough. Yeah, good point. I never thought about that. Right? Um, yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah, you guys did a great job on that, and uh, it won. I think it won a shootout or two. Uh, it placed really well with everybody, uh, which has to make your job just nicer and easier. Yeah, well, you know that's you know KHI. Their whole goal was. The shootouts, you know, the shootouts are really important for the manufacturers, and to you know get a win, um, let alone I think I think we did we got three, and so um, yeah, I mean that was it was huge for us. I mean we hit our gold, you know, of of, of uh, coming out with this brand new bike, all new electric start, and winning three shootouts. I mean it couldn't have been any better. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you've been a race mechanic for a long time, and we'll get into that and the different things. How do you like your your gig now? How do you enjoy it? You're, you know, you're not. Uh, there's no pressure on you. Uh, you're just working on the bikes. Magazine guys, I guess maybe Jody yells at you or something. But um, <laughs> like, how do you how do you like this end of the industry and what doing what you're doing now? Actually, I really like it. Um, a couple of reasons why I like it is it keeps me um, up to date with guys um, going out to the track and not having to be out there every week. But I yep. go out. You know, during the season, I go out uh, a couple times during the month, um, go out with magazine guys. You know, um, they bring out, like, fresh young riders, and I get to meet those guys and, mm-hmm. and work with them. And so it, I like it because it keeps me involved in the industry. It kind of keeps me up with people and, and, and you know, the new and the old. And I, I run yeah. across a lot of people that I've known throughout the years. Um, actually, like, just today I was out – and I run into uh, Russ Wageman, who oh, I yeah. haven't seen in a while. And, yeah. you know, his kids race. Uh, Robbie, you know, did really good in the West Coast Supercross. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's cool that I can um, still be involved in the industry after all these years and still run into, you know, people that I see and and uh, and, and work on dirt bikes, you know? Yeah, yeah, not so, not so bad, for sure. Um, the new 2020 250 follows the 450 program. Um How's it been so far for that, for the launch of that? It, it's good. Um, you know, Kawasaki or KHI decided to do it in phases as far as, like, you know, this year the chassis is the same. Mm-hmm. They went with um, KYB suspension this year instead of the Showa, and we have we went back to a conventional or, you know, like a spring fork Yeah. Um, instead of having the single-function thing, which was difficult to adjust. But... Um, but yeah, so and then they also revised the whole top end, so the lower end's the same as 
previous model, but the top end is all new, and it's it went the path of the uh, 2019 450. Mm-hmm. It uses the finger follower system, and um, it it has a more mid to top end, has more a bigger or broader power and rev, you know, over rev. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, it's a good model. I mean, actually, a lot of guys were, you know, if you look at the bike, just looking from the outside, it looks the same. But um, if you get into the details and the inside of the engine and all the little things that they changed, yeah, um, there's actually quite a bit, quite a bit of uh, updates and changes to yeah. the bike. Yeah, I think so, right? And it seems to be. I've read some early reviews of it. The guys seem to like it. So, so it's another, another thing that Kawasaki's done right here. Um, right. You know, and they went to like a high compression piston, and yep. you know, like I said, the finger faller system. Um, I think it's actually it's the stroke. Um, so they went with a bigger, a bigger bore, shorter stroke type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, it's it's quite a few changes, and and like I said, the riders just from talking to the guys, they've really um, noticed a difference in the power. So. How much do you uh, get to wander over to uh, the race side or talk to the guys at the race shop and see what they're doing to the bikes, or or you know even the PC guys or anything like that? Are you completely removed, or do you? I mean, you're a racer, and we'll get to your career kind of. So you know. You're... Every day I have coffee with uh, Theo Lockwood. Oh, okay, pretty yeah. much every day. Oh, okay, so yeah. Theo, yeah. and then there's a their fabricator, a guy named Bonjo, and uh, uh, Jeremy Robinson, who's a who does all their CNC stuff. So, okay. um, almost every morning I go in there and I have coffee and I talk to those guys and I talk to um, um, Aaron, who's uh, part of the engine development. Yeah. Uh, Dean. Yep. So, um, so actually, I'm. I stay try to stay connected with those guys and you know talk shop and talk gossip and rumor and all. Yeah, that yeah, stuff. yeah. Theo's a Fun good dude. About the moto industry. Hey, Theo's a yeah. smart guy. Theo's real smart. Yeah, he's really smart. Yeah, actually, yeah. He um, he actually helped me a lot with um, um, mapping and stuff. You know, yep. when when we were able to start, we came out with um, our FI calibration tool uh-huh. and a couple years ago, and so Theo kind of got me up to speed on mapping and showed me a few tricks and things about you know changing the power around and all that kind of stuff so you know even at this part of my career i'm still learning new things right now was dean gibson around when you were there or he did you miss him i I think you missed him but was he around uh yeah dean's there no but i mean when you were wrenching way back like was he no 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 he was a yeah he was a little bit um, after I had already kind of got out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Dean so. started a long time ago, so um, he's done a lot. Yeah. Well, done a lot. Um, it, hey, so you go out to the test track. Um, you you suit the you suit the bike up for these guys. You set it up. You you do make the changes they want. You read the review online or in the magazine, Chavez, and mm-hmm. and it's off. It's terrible. Uh, right. Um, how frustrating is that? Um, it's pretty frustrating because that's kind of been one of my bigger complaints is that um, you'll go out and do a shootout. And uh-huh. so, you know, with a shootout system, they usually have four or five guys that come out and each guy kind of rotates through the system, you know. Yep. And so, um, you know, you basically you set the sag and kind of get the, the first initial setup for the guy. And then he goes out and he rides and then he'll come back, say, you know, after four laps or so. And then you make, you try to make some adjustments. And so then, you know, the guy will come back and go, oh, well, you know, the bike's really good. And, you know, I'm, I'm really happy and I think it's doing what I want mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to move on to the next bike. And then you read the review and <laughs> that same guy is like, oh, oh man, the thing wouldn't turn or it wouldn't track or I couldn't, you know, get right. it to shift right. or whatever. And so you're like going, 
man, you know, the guy told me everything was fine. I mean, you know, that's what we're there for is yeah. to, you know, make those adjustments and, and to try to get the bike suited. So, you know, obviously you have guys that favor kind of the bikes that they kind of like. And, yeah. you know, some guys are pro, you know, just like any anything else. Some guys are pro Cowie, some guys are pro Honda and mm-hmm. Yamaha. Yep. But to try to get them to be subjective to, you know, all the brands or at least, yeah. you know, try to, you know, kind of work with us a, a little bit, you know, yeah. but... uh yeah, it can be a little bit frustrating. It's crazy to me how much emphasis because I know I'm talking to Ken Essex there, who does the helps with the PR at Cowie, and yeah. uh, obviously uh, Mike Ulrich at Yamaha and Travis Preston are, are friends of mine, and I work with those guys a little bit with the Yamaha stuff. And right. I've known a lot of guys over the years. It's crazy to me that the big bosses, guys in the USA and the guys in Japan, how much emphasis they put on these damn shootouts that. You know, the the guy could have woke up on the wrong side of the morning one day, or the uh, the guy uh, just doesn't like Kawasaki, or he doesn't like Chavez, or he doesn't like Moen, or or whoever. Right. Um, right. And then the magazine, you know, and then this stuff all just is the gospel. And you know, it's not like I mean, you were around in the day where Honda had a great motorcycle, and the Suzuki right. did not. You know, and that right. and that was noticeably a difference in motorcycles. In it's 2019 and 2020. There isn't that much difference anymore, but your bosses, Chavez, and bosses at other OEMs, God, they live and die with these shootout results. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, like you say, the bikes are so close they now. They are. So, you know, it's, it, it basically comes down to, you know, whether that bike suits a, a guy's particular riding style mm-hmm. yep. or, you know, the the ergos of the bike. And so, it, you know, they end up really kind of, you know, nitpicking through everything in order to try to find a difference, you know, but, but as far as like handling and, you know, power and and everything is so, it's so close and so competitive, you know, and each year it seems like it gets closer. And yeah, but that, but like you said, going back to what we were talking about, that's got to frustrate you where you're like, Hey dude, if, if the, if the front end is skating on you in corners, I'll, I'll move the forks up. I'll, I'll soften it. Like, just tell me. Right. Yeah. I mean, just give us that opportunity, you know, yeah, and, right. and then, and like I said, when you go back and you read through and I'm like, well, that guy didn't say that or he didn't, you know, <laughs> yeah. or, or they go, Hey, you know, I'm going to just run through this bike, you know, I'll ride your bike and then I'll be back. And then the guys never come back. And that's another thing that really yeah. kind of yeah. gets to me is, uh, they never show back up for their second ride or, right. or, you know, at least give us the opportunity to, to kind of, um, you know, work with them. Yeah. Make more. you happy. And, and if, if we've tried everything and you're still not happy, then fine. But yeah, give me a chance here. Like there, it's actually scary how little the, I think the average consumer Chavez knows about what their motorcycle is doing under them as far as setup. Right. You know, it's actually right. probably a little scary if we really were to think about it. Um, but uh, and also too, as you mentioned, your life got a lot easier with the the departure of that show SFF fork. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, it was a, it's a good concept, you know, an idea when it came out. The biggest thing that we found with that fork is that in you know to try to really fine tune it with just that, especially like the spring rate. Yep. You know, it makes it really difficult, and also even with the dampening because, you know, you just don't have, you know, you have this big stack of shims in there. And in order to try to get that dampening just where guys, you mm-hmm. know, you know, really want it, it's, it's, it makes it really challenging. So, yep. um, I think, you know, going back to, um, had the dual springs and just having 
you know, a regular fork set up that, I mean, even like I said, with our 2020 bike, I've noticed a big difference where guys are like, oh, oh yeah, this fork is, you know, way better. And I'm, and I'm able to kind of dial it in and I can feel the front end better. And, mm-hmm. you know, so you, so right away, it, it's been a, a, a very positive thing. Yeah, that, there's a reason fork. why that KYB SSS stuff that Yamaha's had that they've modified a little bit over the years, but it's been the same basic stuff. I um, mean, it just right. it works well. They leave it, you know. Right. They don't right. go for the air. They don't go for the one spring. They don't do any of that. And I think there's a reason for that, you know. So I think so too. Yeah. Although having exactly. said that, that show us stuff on the on the 450s. I mean, that's I had a guy at Race Tech talk to me about it and break it down in front of me. I mean, it's it's close to factory stuff from a few years ago, or it's exactly yeah. the same, you know. It, it it is, and that was one of the big um, marketing points that they made when we did our presentation, and then we did the we started going through mm-hmm. all the changes and all the things that they added, and you know dropping the weight of the bike and everything. But yeah, the the Showa fork is 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 pretty much like you know a factory fork, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, how, okay, so how Pulpamex we uh, we do a lot with Chris Kiefer, as you know, uh, he's the one who put me in touch with you. Um, how's Kiefer? How's that going? He's good. I mean, I, I, I like Kiefer, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, he knows what he wants. He, you know, he wants, you know, the guy just loves testing and just pounding out the laps and, and, uh, you know, working with him, it, it's, it's cool. You know, he, yep. you know, he wants to try mapping. He wants to try, you know, gearing, he wants to try different setup and, you know, he brings guys out with him to, you know, kind of back up what he's saying or to give him a little bit different idea. But, you know, um, yeah, yeah, Kiefer's cool. I like working with him. Right. How much does he look at his gear when he gets on the on the bike, though? Does that drive you crazy that he's just looking at his gear, trying to figure out if it matches or not? <laughs> <laughs> just, you know. I don't think he's as critical as some guys. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, and then are there guys? I'm not asking you to name names, but are there guys working for media outlets that show up and you're like, oh god, oh god, I don't want to do this. Uh, yeah, I have I have one or two. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, oh, you're like, this is a complete <laughs> waste of a day right here. <laughs> uh yeah it, it can be pretty frustrating you know right you just yeah. gotta put you gotta put your happy face on and yep, yep. just kind of roll with it you know right absolutely no i hear you for sure uh mike the majority Chavitt. of the okay. guys majority of the guys are actually pretty good you know yep. the majority of, of the media guys i mean we work with quite a few different guys where they're you know you have there you know there's still some print out there mm-hmm. you know a lot of guys have started going to youtube channels and you know and also um you just have the the website guys. So, yep. but you know the majority of them are actually all pretty good. So, it, it, you know, it, it could be a much worse. Yeah, so. yeah, no, absolutely right. Everybody's everybody's. There are a lot of most people are putting an honest effort into it and really talking about how they feel about the bike. You know, there's not any agendas or anything like that. So, right, right. Um, how'd you get into the industry, Mike? What'd you how'd you get it started? Well, you know. Um, Man, you know, ever, when I was a teenager, you know, I, actually back when I was probably about 10, 11, I just l- had this thing about motorcycles. Mm-hmm. And um, and then so I used to go, like, to um, look at the magazine racks, and I started seeing, like, these dirt bikes and, and uh, looking through magazines. And, and so anyway, that just caught my interest. In, and I had a, a friend that I went to high school with, and he had a dirt bike, and I used to hang out with him, and and we used to ride his bike around in the yard. Is this and, uh, uh, where is this in SoCal? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in okay. uh, uh, Bell, which is a suburb, or this is kind of like a. It, it's in part of Los Angeles. Okay. So, so um, but d- dad never but, rode. Dad never rode. Dad never had a bike. No, he my just, dad never rode. I just had this thing about motorcycles. Oh, okay, that's kind of neat. That's unique, right? 
Yeah, and then so this guy that I was friends with, he introduced me to friends of his that used to race and actually rode down at Saddleback, and they would race out of Saddleback. They had Makos and stuff, so we'd go hang out in their garage, and and then um, eventually I got a bike, and we all used to go out riding and and uh, do some races, and uh, I figured I wasn't going to be good enough to be you know a pro rider, but yeah. at least maybe I could work for one, and. So I found out about Cycle News, okay, which was right. a weekly publication, and they used to do articles on the TransCal, or, well, it was called uh, Trans Am Series, Trans-Am, yeah. you know, the Nationals, yeah. and um, Supercross was just kind of starting, and Daytona, and I used to read all those great articles, you know, about, right. like, Keith McCarty and Bevo and all those guys traveling in the John travel R. circus. John R. John yeah. R. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, dude, I want to be, I want to do that. That's cool. And so um, I found out about a school called Trey Tech, which was in L.A., uh-huh. and they had a motorcycle program, and I heard that people that had graduated from that school went on to get jobs in the industry. Oh, okay. So Sweet. I got Like an MMI back in the day. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of before MMI, right, so... Right. So I went there and I went through their program and then um, I got a year later I got a job at Yamaha. Um, Mark Porter, who you probably know, yeah, um, worked in testing. So Mark hired me at Yamaha. What what uh, what year is this? How old are you? I was twenty one. Oh, okay. It was eighty one. Oh, okay. So you pretty much, dude. So that was like right, like yeah. You had no other career. You had no other ambitions. Anything else? You're just like I want to do this. That was it. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Um. Ah, that's, that's, so, that's so cool. That's in, now. Were you going to Anaheim's and and Saddleback Nationals and all the pro races? Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That so I was going doing all that. So basically, once um, my buddies and I could start driving, we used to go to the, um, the Super Bowl of Motocross. Yeah, you know, we had our thing. You know, it was the Super Bowl of Motocross. I think there was the Anaheim race. We would go to the Saddleback National. We would go to Carlsbad GP. You know, we yeah, would yeah. just whatever professional race that was within driving distance. You know, we were there. That's awesome. And so you saw some like, amazing races. You know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The when they had the, so they had Escape Country. I was there when, um, like I think Magoo was riding a 125 Suzuki and it was raining and he led for I don't know how many laps until he fell over and I think uh, Hannah was there and maybe he won and mm-hmm. it, it, yeah I seen some awesome races. I mean I seen so many races. I, don't even remember yeah. all of them. Now, you know? did you race at all locally, like C level or B level? Like, did you? Or um, I did some racing. I was like, I was probably like CB. I yeah. never really, you know. Um, I did. Yeah, I raced at uh, at Saddleback a couple times. I raced out at Indian Dunes a couple times, and that was it. Um, really? Yeah, dude. You yeah, were, Chavez. You were a professional like fan. You were like a professional fan of the sport. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really, I really dug the sport. Yeah, for sure. Now I remember as a kid, uh, my experience was Millville, starting in like '88. It was like my first national, and uh, so I was like 13 or 14. And you could I go was there. Oh, you were. Yeah, yeah. Right. We'll get to that in a second. Right. So you could okay, go, go up. You could go up to mechanics, and just uh-huh. stand two feet away from Hannah's bike or whatever, and two feet right. from these guys' bikes, and you, the mechanics would be working away. And then I became one one of those guys where the kids would just stand there. Um, right. Did you do that? Did you try to talk to Bevo or Keith or McCarty or John R or, or, or Cliff or any of these guys? 
Well, you know, back then, well, we tried to. I mean, you know, back then they were pretty strict about, like, pit passes, and that was a big thing was trying to get a pit pass. To oh, get was into it? The okay. Pits, yeah, yeah. You know, and so, you know, you would try to, like, sneak in or, <laughs> you know, forge a pass or, pass or whatever. And yeah, yeah. All, the, all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, I don't actually remember trying to talk to any of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember um, there was that – there was um, – there was a writer. I think it was Jim Ganesis. The photographer guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your writer, yep. So he he used to write a lot of pieces about the kind of lifestyle of the motocross mechanic and right. kind of the writers. And he published some of those stories on Cycle News and stuff. And that's kind of where I got this, like, idea of, like, yeah, I'd really like to do that. Yeah. So, um, that's kind of where that came from. It's it's funny. I, obviously, we're a little different because my dad raced and got me into racing. My older brother raced and all that. But I was the mm-hmm. same Chavez as you. My parents and, thought I was crazy, dude. Yeah, really, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was the same as you, though, where, like, uh-huh. I would go to the 7-Eleven. Like, I knew the new magazines came out every Tuesday. I was the same way. Yeah. And I'd go to the 7-Eleven and be like, yep. where's your new magazines? Oh, they're in a box yeah. yet. Oh, can you unpack them, please? I'm looking for, right. you know, a motocross action or whatever. Right. Super motocross, you know, and yeah. I w- we would just ride our bicycles and just wait for these magazines to come out. I just couldn't get enough of the magazines every month, you know? And yeah, I was the same way when, like, Cycle News, because they used to mail out the Cycle News, right. yeah. and I would go to, like, the, the local, you know, motorcycle dealership, and I'd be like, hey, it's Wednesday, you know, where's the latest Cycle News? And the guy would be like, oh, you know, they haven't delivered it yet, and, you know, and you'd basically be going through withdrawals, you know? Yeah, like, yeah totally, you know? right? Um, yeah. So you get the you get you go through the school. You uh, learn how to work on motorcycles. Mark Porter uh, is he R and D then, or wh- where is Mark Porter at Yamaha? Yeah. Well, so that was um, testing. So testing. Kinda, okay. It was, yep. it, it was uh, basically yeah, it's R and D, but they call it the testing department there. Okay. Yep. And so Mark hires me. Um, I worked there for about a year, uh-huh. and then they moved me over into comp support, which was you know Yamaha's version of like a Team Green. So it was did all you, amateur stuff. Did you like that? Were you into it, or were they? Were, well, yeah, like, yeah. You know, part. You know, Mark actually. So I actually had interviewed with Mark a year before they hired me. Okay. And and they ended up hiring somebody else. And one of the reasons Mark told me that they didn't hire me at the time was one, he thought I was too young. I was twenty. Yeah. And the other thing is, he said that you know I could tell that you really wanted to race because all you talked about was racing and being around <laughs> racing and, yeah, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And so he thought that he goes, well, he goes, you know, I, I, he ended up hiring somebody else, but then another position opened up a year later and I went back and talked to him again. And then he said, Oh, I'll hire you. And so then, like I said, I worked in that department a year and then they moved me to, to comp support, which is what I really love because right. it was all amateur racing, you know, amateur yeah. motocross. Stuff. Right. Um, I didn't know Yamaha had something like that back then. I know Team Green was, you know, huge and, and it's been around forever, but I didn't know Yamaha was trying to do the same thing. I mean, they had those wrench reports, right? The YZ wrench reports or whatever that came out. Like, yeah, they had the wrench reports where you could, you know, yeah. they, where they would tell you about some modifications you could make to your bike and yeah. jetting and that kind of stuff. But yeah, comp support was actually. Um, so there was a guy named Ed Scheidler yeah. and uh, Joe Wilson. And uh, Chuck Warren and those guys all kind of did um, comp support, and then they ended up kind of changing that whole department around. And they they wanted to make because um, Ed had been around in the industry for so long, and he was like Pierre Cars Makers mechanic back in the day, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So they ended up moving um, uh, Ed and, and Joe into 
uh, testing with Mark, and Ed and Joe basically just kind of took over all the YZ um, testing. Right. And so then they moved me over into comp support, and they just had me going to um, amateur races. And I worked for uh, William. I worked well. William Radio was my supervisor, and Cliff Lett, who was the um, he was the guy that w- was like picking the riders. Oh, okay. Or, so, oh, I like, didn't know. Rider coordinator did. or something like that. I just knew Cliff as RJ's mechanic. I didn't realize he had part of that going on too. Yeah. yeah. So he was doing that, and then I worked with those guys, and then you know I just started going to all these amateur races that I never even knew existed. Ah, yeah, the wrench reports, dude. Hey, come out, drill a hole in your airbox. You're like, whoa. Exactly, (laughs) right. Or put the little boost port, you know, like, you know, drill a hole in the side of your your intake, you know, into your transfer. I know. And and I can't believe that they actually printed all that stuff. I know, know, right? Trying to do it. It was crazy. It was actually, like, pretty sophisticated stuff. I remember my dad would get them all the time and try try them with my brother's bikes and stuff. Um, Right. and hey, by the way, too. So you go into uh, into the testing department uh, early on, and in '81, you said that was. Yeah, it was '81. Yeah. So, yeah. so this is Yamaha with the radiator on the handlebars era. It, yeah, it was. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, good luck with that. Like, I don't know. Yeah, Yamaha yeah, had well, some great you know, things, but then they had some things that you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, after after maybe uh, half a season of riding. You know, the uh, coolant would start leaking out of the bottom of your uh, triple clamps from the seals going away and stuff like that, you know, uh, in your steering stems. Yeah, that's um, that's the year Hannah just said, I'm not riding this bike anymore. I'm done. Exactly. I, I, <laughs> I'm over this thing. All right, so so comp, uh, Yamaha comp department, that's when you meet Eddie Hicks? That's when you get, Yeah, that's you know? where, exactly. As a matter of fact, Eddie was, uh, so Bobby Moore was kind of our main mm-hmm. uh 85 or 80 rider, I guess it was eighties at that time. So it was, it was, uh, uh, Bobby Moore and Eddie Hicks. So that were kind of like our two main, yep. our main 80 riders. And actually Damon was riding 65s, I think at that time. Okay. Damon Bradshaw. Yeah. So yeah, Damon Bradshaw. Well, you look at Yamaha too. You look at, you look at RJ, you look at, uh, you look at Lachine. Uh, you know, the, the, there was a, there's a history of Yamaha pumping out some incredible riders for about a 10 year span. Uh, oh yeah, from, from amateur a lot stuff. of guys. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then Honda would go and sign them, and they'd start winning or whatever. But exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Unfortunately, so, yeah. we had Jeff Stan. You know, yep, Jeff Stan yep. was uh, same thing. A Yamaha comp support rider, right? Because he was he won the 100 class at Loretta's or something in like 81 or 82, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so are you are you hitting? You're driving a box fan to like Ponca and Loretta's and whatever else, Mammoth or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Like one of the first. Well, so one of the very first amateur races I went to was mini olympics and okay. back then that was when they actually it was a mini olympics so mm-hmm. they did flat track you know they had a hair scramble mm-hmm. and then they did the motocross and they were they weren't doing any kind of supercross at that time yeah but yeah. they had those were the three things and we actually went so one we'd be one night we would do we'd go to the like a flat track um arena or park and, and then they would do that night and then the next night or the next day we would drive over to um, the motocross track, which I think was at Gatorback, mm-hmm. and uh, and then we would do the the uh, hair scramble, and then they would do the motocross part of it. Yeah, correct. And so you're trying to set up bikes for all of that stuff, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Matter of fact, we built a, a bike for Eddie Hicks that we lowered the suspension and we put some wheels on it with you know like some dirt track tires on it yeah. and yep. changed the gearing and you know we kind of went all out on that thing. So. Um. So at at some point you just get assigned to Eddie himself and that's it. 
Like, do you? Well, I mean, kind of like one exactly. of those. You no, know, never, never that intense. Like for you? No, I mean it. It wasn't that intense, but I mean, I did actually kind of start working more and more with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still, you know, so we still had all these other riders that we were trying to help and sure. support and try to like, you know, so I was like grinding cylinders for guys in the bit. We had like Mike Fisher. Um, we had Mike Brown. We had, you know, Danny Storbeck. Yep. Um, you know, so anyway, we had all these other riders, but, you know, um, but Eddie kind of did become like a main focus on. And one of the reasons was because he was one of the few riders that, you know, he didn't have the means to have a mechanic. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so Yamaha thought that it would be best if, you know, I kind of took care of his stuff and, and try to take care of his race bikes. And so that that way, you know, he didn't show up at Ponca with just a, a ratted out bike yeah. you know, or, or, or Loretta's or whatever. So, you know, it did kind of become a little bit more focused on him, but um, but yeah, we still took care of a bunch of guys. Now, for people who don't know, Eddie Hicks was a can't miss amateur kid, uh, a phenom, just on a level of a Michael Lessie or, or James Stewart or Ricky, as an amateur you know, in the eighty class. And I did a story on Racer X a couple years ago. It's also on Pulpamex archived on there. And Chavez, I spoke to you for that story. Uh, he never made it. He never actually. Eddie had some good results here and there, but for a lot of issues that you can read. Or for a lot of uh, reasons that you can read, uh, it's online and, and, and all of that. Now, reading that story, Chavez, that I did, uh, pretty accurate, you think? Uh, everything everything come to mind that, you know, kind of the way you thought about it and the way you the way you saw it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it was, I think it was pretty accurate. I mean, um, reading, there were some things that I remember reading some other people that you had interviewed yep. about the story and, and kind of read some of those things. And I never really, you know, kind of realized like that other kind of a side sure. of it, yep. but you know, because like I was mostly just with Eddie during that time. And then, um, you know, I think, um, you know, when Eddie, when they, when they, when Eddie finally got to that national level and, you know, they kind of threw him in and they said, Oh, you know, well they had Bob Oliver working on his bike. And I kind of think that that was, kind of a mistake only because Eddie didn't really know Bob yeah. and, you know, and at that time, and even still now, you know, there's that kind of relationship with the mechanic and the bike and the bike setup and, mm-hmm. you know, and all the routines because everything is a routine for those guys. And, right. you know, you kind of take those little routines out and it's easily to upset those guys. And, and, you know, and then, and then I, I think, you know, you start having a few bad results and then, you know, the next thing you know, and you know, the, the wheels are falling off the wagon, you know, and it's and it, then uh, it's absolutely it's absolutely insane. And I, and I did a podcast with Buddy Antonez, who, you know, was a Eddie Hicks type of guy and had a good career. Right. Um, he just, you know, he turns pro at 16 and he tells a story about how Suzuki was just like, yep, yeah, see at the races. They, they didn't they didn't know what he was doing during the week. They didn't know how to get us a flight rental car like you mm-hmm. invest in this kid. And you coddle right. them, and you give them everything, and then when they turn pro, you're like, "See you later." Buckaloo right. talked about the same thing at Yamaha. Buckaloo was a fantastic amateur rider, and Yamaha just went, "Yeah, see you later." And so I'm not singling out Yamaha here. I just back then it was so different for how these guys were treated. You know that the that the futures of the OEMs were just like, "Yeah, one year and done," uh, and that's it. You get you get maybe a year and a half to see if you're one of the best, and if not, see you later. You know, it's crazy. Right. Yeah, it was just a a nutty time. Did you? If you had ever, in a time machine, Chavez, if they had, if, if we were able to go back to 1984, where an Eddie sweeps Loretta's and wins Ponca, um, and all of this, how much would you have bet that Eddie Hicks would win a pro race? 
I mean, everything, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was fast. I, mean, I know. Yeah, I, right? mean, yeah. I mean, even like, you know, when he got off that, he got off the 85 and he was just waxing everybody. And then, you know, he stepped up to the 125 and he was, you know, kind of going through that, you know, the expert and kind of yeah. still an amateur. And then, you know, he turns pro. And even those first few pro races, yep. he still kind of had it, you know. But then, yeah. you know, it just things just started going away. And it's just it's... hard to explain why, you know. I mean, and the other thing is, you know, you don't really know what those guys are doing once they leave, you know, uh-huh. and they go home. And, you know, and, and you're hoping that, you know, they're following a program and, yep. you know, they're they're riding and all that. But you don't really know what's going on, you know. And, yeah. And then, like I said, changes happen, and, you know, people start paying a lot of attention to you, and you got gear guys coming up to you and boot guys and helmet guys. Right. And, you know, there's a lot going on, and, and if you're not um, – if you don't have your head screwed on right, it's, it's and, easily to forget. And, again, know? Eddie jumped into the 125s probably early. Everyone in that story said that. So you know, too, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you thought so, too. Uh, yeah. Sternstrom was saying, you know, that they offered him – a ride for go to Kawasaki, but he had to stay in eighties, and and he just the family was like, nope, he's ready to go. Then he yeah. to compound all of that, the eighty five one twenty five was garbage, you know, yeah. motor wise. Bikes were bad that year, right? So so now you're down on a bike. Now you're on a bike that you know is far inferior to the Cowies and the Hondas, right? You know, so it's just like a sequence of events. To he got hurt, right? Um, right. But yeah, he got second in a San Diego Supercross. He got fifth in one of the motos at his debut national. Um, there were some. Flashes of brilliance from Eddie, but right, yeah, right, uh, few and far between. What do you remember of him, like as a as a guy, as a person? I thought he was a nice kid. I mean, yeah. he was really friendly. He was pretty humble. Yep. You know, um, I, I think you know his his dad was pretty hard on him. Yeah. You know, but that's kind of typical with you know many dads. Um, you know, I think it's, it's like anything else. I think that when Eddie really started finally winning and and beating, you know, the Bobby Moores and the other guys. And, and uh, you know, I think they thought, oh, you know, Eddie's made it. You know, Eddie, yeah, yeah. Eddie's there. And, right. and that's, you know, Eddie's the king now, you know. And, and uh, you know, it's just kind of unfortunate. You know, you, like you say, you look back and you think, man, that guy should have won, you know, a yeah. pro race. He should have won. Oh. Could have He could have won a title or been in contention for one, you know, yeah. or, now, or whatever, uh, you know. Uh, I guess Dogger's already pro in 83, so you'd have no, no real – Nothing to do with Ronnie, really, right? No, I no. didn't really do anything with Ronnie. Right. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X Podcast with Mike Chavez. Brought to you by Alpine Stars. Brought to you by Maxis. And also Race Tech. Thanks, Race Tech, for doing, uh, coming on board with us. Ben LeMay using Race Tech motors. Michael Lessi using Race Tech suspension. Just winning Gopher Dunes with Race Tech. Uh, Chris Blose, of course, killing it this year in Supercross. Dylan Merriam. A lot of guys using uh, uh, Race Tech over the years, and we thank them for coming on board the show. Pulp 19 is the code to save with the folks at Race Tech, racetech.com. And thanks, Fly Racing. Thank you, Alpine Stars. Thanks, Maxis. We're going to get right back to the show with Mike Chavez. Here we go. So, Bradshaw, um, you, said, you mentioned he was on 65s. Yamaha's churning these kids out. Uh, at what point do you start working with Damon? So, um, well, I kind of have a little bit of a funny story. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm at Mini Olympics, and it was actually the first, uh, like I was telling you, it was one of the first amateur races, and I didn't really know, you know, any of, like, our our riders that yeah. we took care of, and I didn't know any of their parents or anything. And so, it, you know, so I'm sitting there, and, and uh, this guy comes walking up to me in a beard, and he's like, he goes, hey, uh, do you have a, a throttle? And I'm like, and I was told, don't be giving out any parts, you know, to just anybody because 
um, you know, our budget. We really yeah, had to yeah. cut back on our budget and all this stuff. So I'm telling the guy, going, yeah, you know, you know, I don't really <laughs> have any, I don't have any throttles that you know I can give you right now or anything. And so the guy walks off and he doesn't say anything. So about 15 minutes later, uh, Cliff comes walking up with the same guy, and then Cliff goes, "Hey, you got a throttle?" Cliff Lett. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, I go, yeah, Cliff Lett. Yeah. So I go, I, he goes, "Yeah, you got a throttle assembly?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I got one." And he goes, oh, "Well, give it to me." And so then I give it to him, and he goes, "He goes, well, he goes, hey, let me introduce you. This is uh, Randy Bradshaw. This is uh, Damon Bradshaw's dad. He's our um, yeah. our 65 rider." And so then I give him the throttle assembly, and that's kind of how I met Randy. Um, <laughs> <All right. laughs> so anyway. Um, but yeah, um, you know, Damon was the guy that that Cliff let pick. To, you know, yep. uh, he seen something in Damon even at that time of you know whatever he was like ten, you know, eleven, whatever it was, and and uh, and and um, we supported Damon through his whole career, pretty much. You know, was so yeah, it was phenomenal amateur rider. Damon was obviously, um, and again. Uh, Chavez, the the YZ80s weren't that good. They just weren't when you no. compared them to the Cowies or Hondas. Yeah, the Cowie was uh, the Cowie was the bike to beat in the eighty class at that time. You know, yeah. and uh, Hondas were they were okay. They were fast. I think the chassis wasn't as good. You know, our bike handled pretty good, but it wasn't that fast. You know, yeah. yep. power wise, Suzuki's. You know, a lot of guys did a lot of modifications on the Suzuki's. I yeah. think they handled pretty good, but. You know, the Cowie was the bike because at that, you know, in a small bike, if you got power, then that's yeah, it. That you was know, it, You could right? ride around everything yeah. else. Yeah. You know, so, um, but yeah, um, um, you know, Damon would ride the wheels off that thing, you know. <laughs> I bet. I, I, I can imagine that drum brakes on the rear, too. Cowie had discs, you know, so. You're right. Uh, no, I, right. actually, 87 still had a drum brake for Cowie. 88, they went to discs, so. Um, so, at some point, you, they send you with Bradshaw on the road when he makes his pro debut? Are you picked, or do you have a good relationship with the family, or how does that come together? So I was working for, and so in '88 I worked for Brock. So that was Brock Brock Lovers. Um, Hold on, that was wait the a last second. You were Yamaha. Wait, you worked for the factory team at, for Brock? I didn't know this, Chavez. Wait. Yeah, yeah, I did. So okay, oh wait. So how do you get out of the amateur stuff into into the pro team? What, what happens? Who does Keith come to you? Okay, or Ken so Clark, around or? so around eighty, it was around eighty five, eighty six. Um, the amateur program was, they were, they didn't really have the budget. And so what they wanted to do is, um, and I don't think I, for some reason, I didn't really have a supervisor at that time. (laughs) And so they go, well, we're going to put you in the race shop. And then that way, um, Keith McCarty can keep an eye on you and, and see what you're doing and this and that. And so I'm like, all right. So I go into the race shop, which is what I wanted anyway. Yeah, yeah. And so then they're like going, okay, well, you're not going to do amateur stuff anymore. We're going to have you be the parts guy. Oh, okay. So I was the parts guy for the race team like in 85 or 86. And so, you know, so like the guys that were out on the road, they would yeah, call yeah. in an order, you know, and you would pick all the parts, box it up, right. ship it out, you know, or you would go out. I would. I was also doing testing, so I'd go out you know, to the tracks, the local tracks, right. and we would go and do some testing or go practice or rebuild Dude, practice. 80, I was doing 86 Yamaha had a huge factory team. Bowen, Hawley, Burnworth, I think, Glover, big team. Uh, yeah, it was a big team. Yeah. 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 Uh, we had a lot of mechanics, a lot of parts, a lot of bikes going out and, right. and all that stuff. Uh, so, okay, and, I thought John R. was still a Brock, and, and Bro- John R. went inside to be suspension guy. 
Yeah, so what happened was, so later in around, I think it was 87, they actually made me a suspension guy. Oh. So they were using, so we had been using Oling suspension for a long time. Yep. And then um, we decided, or they decided, that they were no longer going to use Oling, and then we started with KYB. And so then um, they needed somebody to, to, to be a tech to service all the suspension. So I got... Um, put into that position. And so um, for the whole year of 87, I was um, building and coming up with settings and servicing um, the suspension for the race team. Oh, okay. And I believe that's when we had, like, we had uh, Jeff Lease on our yeah, team. Yeah, Lease, number 19. Bob uh, was his mechanic, right? Uh, Heben. Oh, Heben was. Okay, yep. Yeah, um, Heben was. Oh, I thought Heben was Bowen's guy. Was Bowen gone by then? Yeah, Bowen was gone by then, maybe. Um, I think so. I think Lease replaced... Bowling at yeah, yeah. Um, oh, so you were a suspension guy. Oh, check that out. Yeah, so I was a suspension guy for a year. Uh-huh. And so then at the end of that year, um, McCarty comes to me and says, hey, you know, I want to switch jobs. I want to switch positions with you and John R. And he goes, so I want you to be Brock's. And I think, I think too, Brock was coming off an injury in 87 or yeah. Yeah, he was, 86 uh, or something like that. 86 broke a wrist. 87 broke his leg at Hangtown. Okay. Yeah. And and so um, so then it like I said at the end of '87 they switch me and John R. John R. becomes a suspension guy. I become Brock's mechanic. And so the whole year of '88, or it was actually like a half a year because I think they did the they split the 250 class and the 500 class. Yeah. Um, and so we didn't make a 500, so we only raced the 250 nationals. And then once we were done with that, then. Um, right. I started working with uh, Damon. Okay, so the story goes. So Glover is this is last year at Yamaha. He you know he's won six titles. Um, the story goes like he just didn't like his bike all year. Just didn't like it. Didn't like it. Was trying to get them to use this guy in uh, in Anaheim named Mitch Payton. Trying to get right. him to use Mitch Payton's motor. Right. And right. the story that I heard is that they finally let him, but it was at the final Supercross. Right. And he won. Is that true? Right. Is that all true? Um. <laughs> it's so yeah it's pretty yeah it's pretty true i know that i know that um that mitch was building pipes for us because i know right. that brock was running mitch through the ringer because he would go you know yeah if anybody knows brock you know he's super like picky picky right, and yeah, yeah. you know he he knows all you know he knows what he wants and so you know he was like well you know you should make the power here or move it you know try this and so then you know mitch is all like okay and so i'm not kidding you like Mitch would go to the shop and like in two or three days he'd have like three, you know, handmade cone pipes yeah, like yeah. done right. for Mitch to to try, or for Brock to try, and so you know and then we would I would drive out to um, El Cajon and then we would go out to that that palm track that was out there right and we would go through all the pipes and you know Brock had these uh, these uh, set of forks from another manufacturer that he acquired. And so we had those on our bike and uh, we had Mitch's pipe. And so, yeah, Brock wasn't making a lot of uh, friends uh, no. back at the, just, at the office. So, um, but he wouldn't race with the other forks. He, uh, he was, Oh, he's racing with him. Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. If you look at, if you look at old pictures, if yep. you see um, uh, gators on the forks, yep. 
um, you'll know that uh, yeah, oh. they're different for it. Really? How, how yeah. in the hell did they let that happen? That's amazing. Back the, even back then, <laughs> he had well, uh, Showa's on or whatever. I don't. I imagine yeah. Showa's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had like some factory Showa's. And then who? Got. And so like even Showa wouldn't say anything at the races. They're just like, yeah, that's cool. Like, you know, um, <laughs> I think he purchased them from somebody. Oh, okay. Wow, dude, that's crazy. Um, yeah, that, what, you're just you're just sitting there going, God, I don't. I hope this doesn't come back to bite us. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it was funny because, um, or interesting, the fact that, and I hard to, I can't say that nobody cared, but like nobody was really concerned with Brock. Right. That right. Way. Yeah. So it was kind of like Brock and I were kind of like our own little team. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. so we were like I said, we were just. I was like. I'd like to say, hey, Brock wants me to go out testing, and McCarty would be like, oh, okay, go ahead and go. Yeah, yeah. So I'd take off, and, um, you know, we're trying Mitch's stuff, and we're trying show of forks, and, you know, we're trying, you know, different things, <laughs> and, and you know, Brock's out there just doing his own deal. And, and, yeah. uh, and so we, you know, show up at the Coliseum, and, uh, you know, Brock ends up winning that race. And, I mean, it was pretty awesome. That was the first professional race I ever won with yeah. somebody. You know? Yeah, the story that I the story that I got is that was the only race he was allowed to use a pro circuit's uh, head or cylinder or both or whatever. And he's been crying about it for all year that he wanted to try this Peyton cylinder and head. But I don't. Again, I don't know if it's true. But um, and then and then the story is is that at the end of the race, like Yamaha didn't even sit around and congratulate him. Everyone left. <laughs> is that well? Exactly. You yeah. know. So I was so at the end of the race. You know, Brock is down doing his you know, interview and stuff. And, you know, we were parked up at the top of uh, where the uh, peristyles were up in that grassy area. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting there, you know, waiting for Brock. And then, you know, like everybody just starts leaving. (laughs) And Brock hasn't even been to the van yet. And so I'm sitting there waiting. And then Brock comes rolling, you know, comes riding up. And he's like, where's everybody? I go, well, they just all left. And he's like, really? And then he's like, oh, wow. You know, and so, and and I was like, well, you know, I'm here waiting for your bike. And then Mitch comes cruising up and then Mitch is like, well, come on, let's go celebrate. Let's go do something. You know, we, you know, this is, it was a big race for, you know, for Mitch to win or be part of, you know? And so, yeah, we all end up going out to dinner, you know, and, and uh, kind of enjoying our victory. It's crazy because he's, what is he, 28? He's whatever he is. He's ancient in motocross at he's, this time. He's twenty eight. Yeah, yeah he's twenty. He's twenty eight. He's twenty eight. He's won six titles for you. Yamaha couldn't wait to get rid of him. Right? Uh, he couldn't right. wait to leave. Um, and he wins the final Supercross like when he kind of was written off. You know? I mean, right. it's it's a, the whole story is cool, but odd that such a a guy who delivered six titles for you obviously been injured in eighty six and eighty seven, but he still was fast in eighty six, eighty seven when he raced. It wasn't right. like he wasn't any good anymore. Just no, bizarre. No, he yeah. was. Yeah. No, he. I mean, he was like. I mean, for that race, you know. I mean, like we did the nationals, and you know, he had some mixed results during the nationals, um, but for sure, he came alive at that race, and and uh, you know, to this day, I still actually have his trophy because he le- he left the trophy in the box fan <laughs> and then um he took off and so then when i was cleaning the, vi- the box fan out i had the trophy so i brought it to my house and so then so to this day whenever i see brock i run into him you know once a year or yeah. so and he's like hey you still got that trophy and i'm like yeah i got it it's at my house i go you want it and he's like he goes, well, you know, you just hang on to it. You know, that's my last professional win. Yeah. And I go, well, if you ever want it, you can come and get it. 
And then he's like, well, he goes, you just hang on to it for me. And I'm like, he goes, but don't ever throw it away. And I go, no, I won't. Yeah, yeah. It's sitting in my house. Right. Oh, that's so, awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, he was forty four, and he had a cool Serrano pink helmet. He wore pink JT gear that year. It was like an all time look, I think uh, back then. Looked really good, Brock. Always that year. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And that eighty eight was a pretty good bike, right? They, it was kind of Yamaha's a little bit of uh, experimentation. Like they they had the big wing on the one side and and a newer motor, and I mean they they really tried. Yeah. Well, yeah, they were, you know, they were trying and the bike was, it was a decent bike. You know, I mean, um, you know, Honda was the standard at that time, you know, Honda, I mean, everything everybody did was, you know, geared towards, you know, seeing what Honda was doing. You know, Roger was part of that program and, you know, they had the bike. They were the bike to beat. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. They, they, like I said, they were, they were good. And Cowies were wider and bigger, but the motor was really good in '88, '89. Yeah, they had a good motor, you yeah. know. And and uh, you know, Wardy and Lachine at that time were able to make the bike work for them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you're on the road. You're driving box van days, right? Who are you hanging out with? Who are you driving with? Um. So back then, I was I was with. So Heben was still on the road. So yep. Heben and I. You know, we spent some time together. We also spent some time together with Jim Felt, the commander. Oh, yeah. yeah commander. Uh, he was Johnny's mechanic. Right, right. Um, uh, Johnny O'Mara. And yeah. so um, I spent time with him. Um, I think those were kind of like the three main guys yeah. that I kind of spent the most time with. Slicer is, um, uh, Slicer is a piece of work. He's unbelievable. Slicer, <laughs> yeah. Slicer just lives down the street from me. Oh, does he? Oh, good, yeah. yeah. I like whenever yeah. I see him at the races, I like catching up with him. Um, yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, what do you remember from Diamond being on the team? And and Slicer Slicer was working for him. Uh, yeah, he, he was a big signing. Like he kind of replaced Brock, right? Everything was on on Diamond's shoulders, right? Because he was a big deal. Yeah, well, see, so they brought Diamond in. I think when Jeff Leesk and Bowen left. Um, so I think that '88 uh, Diamond it was Diamond's first year, and Brock was still on the team. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you know, I mean. You know, Mickey had this kind of uh, aura about him, Yeah. you know, of uh, almost like this rock star kind of guy. I mean, yeah. he was one of the first, you know, dirt bike guys to kind of be that kind of rock star look. And, yeah, yeah, he you was know, cool. he had the tats and the earring and the, you know, he was hanging right. out with the Motley Crue guys. And, yeah. you know, so Mickey was like this pretty cool guy. And, and, and to tell you the truth, I actually never really interacted much with mickey at that time uh-huh. but later in the years um you know when i did supermoto with mickey i actually spent a lot of time with mickey and mickey is actually a he, really good guy and he's yeah. got really good stories he's not what you think when you hear him talk or or exactly he's, he's not how your stereotype of mickey diamond is i agree right uh, i've right. met him over the years and you're just like you you picture him one way and you look at him and you picture him acting one way and then he's he's a complete 180 you know, yeah, um, exactly. Slicer's favorite story was that he, uh, he one day Mickey was off. I don't know, it wasn't riding well or whatever. And Mickey and Slicer was like, "I think the bike's just uh, the suspension's not good enough." And John R was like, "What are you talking about?" Or whatever. And he's mm-hmm. like, "Dude, he's got Jim Morrison with him today. You need to set it up stronger." <laughs> Morrison is riding with Mickey today. Jim's on the bike. He's he's yeah. on, he's on the bike with Mickey. So we got to set the suspension up better. <laughs> so um okay so 88 glover and then like you said 250 nationals and then so bradshaw is coming up he's turning pro at millville 88 as we mentioned um right and i think what's it's lost in time 
Um, but back then, like, okay, Button's first national, he got lapped, he got 15th. Red Dog's first national, he was a Button was a, the, the, the Loretta Lynn's uh, leading guy for titles, and he got lapped at his first few races. Uh, I remember uh, Ryan Hughes sucked at first when he turned pro. Uh, Red mm-hmm. Dog told me, you know, he couldn't even get a point, and he was the, the highest winning ass, winningest rider ever at Loretta's when he turned pro, et cetera, et cetera. When you turn pro, it wasn't like it nowadays where Tomac wins a moto and, and Forkner gets a third or whatever. So Bradshaw's fourth at Loretta's was, I remember, mind-blowing. Do you, do you agree? Um, you're, you're fourth at um, Millville. Millville. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I meant Millville. Bradshaw's fourth yeah, yeah. at Millville as an amateur, yeah. first race ever, yeah. was right. like, holy shit. Uh, is, was that how it was back then? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I remember like, it, I was thinking, I wasn't blown away. It was more like he could do this, you know, yeah, like, yeah. I, I think, you know, I don't know. At that time you're so involved in it and, and being, um, like I said, I knew Damon and I had been with him to Loretta's and mm-hmm. Ponca and, and kind of watched him throughout his career. And to me, I don't, I don't think it was unexpected. You really? Know? I, okay. I think yeah. That, yeah. I think that, you know, he was more than capable. I think, you know, I, I think we were, you know, somewhat surprised. But I think in the back of my mind, it was kind of expected that he was going to do good. Really? Okay. All right. So, yeah, I, I remember thinking, like, holy smokes, this kid's legit. Like, he, you know, yeah. he, he, you don't just get fourth at your first pro race. Not back right. then, you know? Right. Um, right. And then uh, what happened after those nationals? Like, the after the, the after Millville? Did he do any good at the... Otherwise, I could pull up the vault here. I guess it's right in front of me, but I don't remember how we did the, re- the end of season. I think we were. I don't know all the results. I mean, it was way back. I know that we went to Washugo, I believe. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure what he ended up getting there. I'm gonna pull this up right now because I. Uh, I should have had this actually, but but yeah, fourth at Millville, his first ever pro race. He's uh, what is he? One sixty eight. What number is he? Four sixty eight. Ninety three. Uh, I can't remember. People are probably going to yell at their radios, but I can't remember exactly his his, his number. But um, I think it's six ninety three. Was he? Okay, so yeah, fourth at Millville, thirteenth at Washugal. The next week, okay. uh, doesn't have his moto scores, but he got thirteenth. So uh, overall, but um, so okay, so you gel with him. You, you good kid back then, full of full of uh, piss and vinegar, right? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and his parents. His parents were awesome. You know, Randy and Marsha. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, I knew them all through the amateur stuff, and yep. and hung out with them, and you know, had barbecues with them, and spent lots of time at the races with them, and you know, so they were, you know, I I knew them real well, and and I felt they, I I believe they felt comfortable with me. You know, I felt comfortable with them and Damon and. Um, you know, we did those nationals and then, you know, the, the race that really stands out in my mind is when we went to Japan and yeah. he did Osaka. Right. 1988. Uh, he's, he's 17, right? 16, um, 16, 17, seven, 17. I think he might've turned 17 think, by then, but, but anyways, yeah. beats RJ stands on the podium. Yeah. Uh, RJ yeah. tells him, you know, you're, this is, this is the worst thing you ever did. Everyone's right. going to expect you to beat, right. beat everybody the rest of your right. life. <laughs> right. And it's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, and it's so hard because, you know, you know, when a guy is capable of winning and and, you know, he ends up getting, you know, 
third or fourth or worse or whatever, and you're looking at him and he's coming off and he's all hot and sweaty and you're like, you know, what happened? You know, yeah. what's wrong? You right, know, and you right. you know, and and he looks at you and he gives you this dirty look, like you know, you're an ass. You know, I mean, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you expected me to win every race, and it's so hard. You know, yeah. when you know a guy's capable of it. You know, that Japan race, uh, I've never seen it on video. I don't never remember reading about it. What did he Dude, take I off? I have it. I have it on video. Do you really? Oh, I need to see. Yeah, that. like it's on a VHS, and actually, I think not too long ago, I just converted it to uh to a digital format oh yeah and i was thinking about posting it to youtube or something but i just haven't gotten around to doing so does it. he take off does uh, what happens so the track um you know it was it, it was a i wouldn't say easy track but it you know compared to like at that time american standards yeah but um it was kind of a sandy track and uh he ended up actually getting a, a start. Obviously, the start's so important. Yeah. So he got the start. Um, RJ kind of funnels in behind him. Everybody else kind of like, you know, I think Wardy crashed and stuff. And so Damon kind of gaps everybody a little bit. And so RJ, um, you know, obviously, you know, RJ was fast. You know, he caught Damon. But he kind of was like, I think RJ was kind of, I wouldn't say playing with Damon, but he was kind of being yeah, yeah. a little cautious. And so, um, but then as time was running, the race was running its course and time's running down, you could obviously see that, you know, Rick's um, trying harder yeah, and yeah. trying <laughs> different lines and trying to do things. And he actually, um, so I think it's like on the, maybe the second to the last lap, he, he basically runs into Damon and knocks him down. They both actually go down. Mm-hmm. He runs into him. They both go down. Damon gets his – they both get up. Damon's still in the lead, and he just keeps it going, and he ends up winning the race, and RJ's just right behind him. It's crazy because RJ is such the man at this point. I mean, he is the man. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, right, yeah, right. he is. Yeah, and, yep. and this kid comes out and, and whoops him, and Pete Fox has yeah. that photo of that from that race. Uh, Pete yeah. Fox has that photo. Oh, man. Um, Dude, and – now that was a surprising race to me. That was totally unexpected. Right, right. You're just like you're like can this kid even ride a 250 that well? I was like, yeah, yeah right. I was. I mean, I knew he could ride the 250, but like to win it and especially to beat him. You know, I mean, obviously it's not the perfect race of like yeah. Yeah. you know like in the United States, but dude, it, to beat him like straight up and and uh, it was just ama- It was an amazing night. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um. So eighty nine, you're his guy for eighty nine then, and uh, yeah, we we rode the one twenty fives. Well, no, you didn't. Not at first. See, and that's something well, he rode. Uh, he rode a couple of. Uh, he rode Anaheim or something, right? Right. So he gets he's seventeen. He's never raced a pro supercross, and he gets third at San Diego. First, I think he KOs himself at the opener, or maybe the second round. I don't know if San Diego is the second round or not. Um, I think Anaheim. I think he. Yeah, I think he KO'd himself at. Uh, Anaheim, I okay. think, the yeah. first one, the and then, opener. And then he gets third. And again, this stuff didn't happen back then. Right. <laughs> 17-year-old yeah. kids just then jump in the 250 class with RJ yeah. and Dogger yeah. and Wardy and get get on yeah. a podium. Like, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really insane. Uh, so he, he rips off the 125 Supercross title. And Miami, I was at Miami in the sand as a kid watching, crashed 14 times, still won. Right. Yeah. Actually, I just seen that video. Uh Oh, it's been a couple. Of, it was a couple of months ago. I was looking at some stuff, and yeah. I actually watched that video again. Oh, as a matter of fact, because I know what it was. Um, I seen that video, and at you know at that time, I didn't realize that Ty Davis 
was the guy the the guy that was leading the race the whole time. Yeah. And so um, about a few months ago, we built a bike for the Mint 400, uh, a 2019. KX450, and so mm-hmm. we did the special project thing, and Ty was one of our riders, so we had a four-man team. So I was at Ty's um, house yeah. a couple months ago, and I told Ty, I go, hey, Ty, I go, I had just seen that video of Miami Supercross, and I didn't realize that you were the guy that led it up until that last lap when Damon passed you. Yeah. And he looked at me and he gave me the dirtiest look and he goes, dude, you just ruined my day. Yeah. And he goes, you just had to bring that up, didn't you? Yeah. And I'm like, and I was like, dude, I never realized that, uh, you know, until just, I had just seen that video that you were the guy that led it. And he passed on the last lap. Just, so anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ty was a little pissed that I mentioned that to him. Yeah, just crashing, getting up, crashing again, getting up, crashing, right. just and just you know balls out fast. Uh, big battle. Well, he was doubling that one section. He yep. was the only one that was doubling it, and so that's where he made up all his time. Uh, so that and the nationals come, and that's an underrated national year. Kudrowski. Damon, defending champion was Holland, who actually was still leading the points when it hurt his shoulder at some point. Uh, right. You had uh, Larry Ward won a race uh, on a Honda 971. He won Southwick, I think. It, it, it was. You look at the the LaRocca was in there. Uh, very good. Right. Um, right. Yeah, very good. And and Damon should have won the national championship. There's no other way to put it. I've talked to Bob Oliver a few times about this. Um, yeah, he was the fastest guy, but. Uh, he, he, he slowed down at Redbud to smash into Kurdowski and he wrecked his right. pipe, I think. Um, right. He did smash the pipe. Right? Like, I he, remember that. Yeah, he just, he would just, <laughs> I was bummed. right, yeah. like he would just be one of those, he was just the fastest guy. Bunch Creek, he crashed off the start. Somebody ran into him and it, it ripped the brake hose off of the, the rear brake hose off. Uh huh. And uh, I don't know what he, fi- I don't know if he DNF'd or he finished that first moto, but we lost a ton of points there. Yeah. And then at Steel City, uh, he crashed at the start, hurt his knee. I think he might have finished 10th or something. We lost a bunch of points there. Yeah. I mean, I think at one point he had like a 25-point lead or something going, yeah. you know, yeah, into the, like. The, the, he went 10-8 the la, the, at the third and second last round at Steel City and Bud's Creek. Yeah. He, but he was, yeah. before that he went 2-3-3-1-2-1. Um, three, three, one. Like just, yeah. yeah, just doing great, right? Right, right. Um, and that bike wasn't the greatest bike either. Not compared to a Honda. No. <laughs> yeah, not compared to a Honda, right. Yeah. Um, upside down forks on a first year for upside downs for Honda. Or for Yamaha, I mean. And uh had the big had the big wing on the side of it and all that. Um was he he was just was he just angry all the time if he didn't win? Was he just angry? Um I don't know. I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess you could say that. I mean, obviously, you know, he was the kind of guy, yeah, he wanted to win. He wanted to win really bad, you know, and he mm-hmm. was, you know, he was always going around saying, you know, I basically hate everybody, you know, I just because I want to beat those guys and, you know, I'm not going to be friends with them or, you know, you know, that kind of, he had that kind of, you know, like that Bob Hanna kind yeah, of, yeah. Yeah. you know, thought process, you know, of, of, I'm not, you know, I, I'm going to hate everybody so that that way I can just beat them, you know? Right. And, and, you know, for the most part, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he did what he wanted, you know, he did what he wanted to do, you know, I mean, he was able to beat those guys and, and, uh, you know, he raced against a lot of guys that he never had raced against before, you know, and a lot of tracks that he never seen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and so, uh, for you, yeah. You're you're wrenching for basically James Stewart, you know, like me. You're wrenching for you know, you're wrenching for the, the the best amateur rider ever and the guy that's predicted to be the future champion 
over and over and over. Are you yourself feeling pressure? Are you? Do things change between you and him? Uh, how's you, how? What are you going through at this point? As as a as every all the eyes are on Damon. Well, you know, I I wasn't. I don't. I can't really say that I felt pressure. I mean, I was kind of like. Um, so in my own eyes, I thought, well, you know, I've kind of made what I want. I made it to where I wanted to be. You know, I'm working for a top guy. Mm-hmm. You know, we're winning races. You know, this is where I belong or how I felt I, that yep. I belong there. Yep. And so, um, you know, I was just I was just doing my job, you know, and, and, and enjoying it and enjoying, you know, the limelight and winning the races and, you know, being that guy of, of having a top guy. And, and I wouldn't say that. You know, I don't think that I was cocky or anything, you yeah, know, but yep. like I, you know, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it because that's what I really wanted to do and where right. I really wanted to be. And, um, with Damon, like, you know, our relationship was, was good. I think, um, some things started to change as I think maybe more the following year, you know, things were happening with him and stuff. But, you know, at that point, I, I felt like, right. You know, Damon was still Damon, the Damon that I knew, you know, the Damon that that was able to go out there and win regardless of whether, you know, he was doing all the things he should be doing, you know, and that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, the guy really like mentally, like he if he really wanted to win a race and he was in that right focus, dude, he could just go out and just beat anybody. Yeah, really. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. So. And your yeah, so your relationship in '89 is fine. Like he's the Damon that you yeah. know, everything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. So '90 comes, and dude, again, you just talk about Brad. So now, and again, what a different era. Um, nowadays, it'd be like, hey, Damon, stay down to 125s and win like two more titles, and make a bunch of money. Dude, that's what he should have did. He should have did that. Right. I I that I firmly believe that to this day that he should have did that. <laughs> First Eddie Hicks and now Damon. <laughs> yeah. Um, I firmly believe that he shouldn't. I mean, you know, he, and, and I'm pretty sure I've heard stuff, uh, some other interviews with Damon and I, and his philosophy about, you know, he, he was fast enough. He should step up, you know, yep, yep. but I don't personally, I don't think Damon was mentally ready for that step. Yeah. And so he wasn't, so he wanted to do it, yeah. So he, it was his. Time. It was his choice. Yamaha didn't push him. Yeah, yeah. Him and his parents. Right, right. So 90, 1990 comes and he wins the first two two fifty supercrosses. Right. God, winning two, winning Anaheim, the opening round. Yeah. As a mechanic with Bradshaw, must have just been awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know he. Uh, so I I believe he didn't he didn't go through from the heat. I, I forgot the format, but. I, th- I don't. I think he didn't go through. From he had to go through a semi. Yeah. And so he had a lousy gate pick, and so we were on the outside, and we we're sitting there, and I'm looking at him, and we're talking, and I'm going, I, I was telling him, I go, I go, dude, see that berm like way out there in the first turn? I go, I go, and he goes, I know what you're. I goes, I know exactly what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah. And I go, just head for that thing, just wide open. And he's like, he goes, I'm on. He goes, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> and so he just ran. So it was so funny because I'm. You know, I'm from the, I'm on the starting line yeah. behind, and I'm watching those guys from their backside. Yep. And so I see everybody going and diving and slowing down into the first turn, and I see this guy on the outside just clicking gears, Dude, yeah, hitting that berm, and he just rails and he does the double, and him and like Dubok are like side by side or something. Yeah, you know? and, and he and it was he com- amazing, and he comes within like five feet of being cleaned out. 
You know what I mean? Right. Like from the back, right. but it, right. it's it's an all time move for sure. Yeah. Um, yep. And he goes to Even win it. McGrath, who I talked, you know, I see McGrath. He's, you know, our brand manager right, now. Right. And we've talked about that race. And he tells me, like, he was up in the stands and he couldn't believe what he, you know, what he saw. Yeah. It was, an, like you say, it was an all-time yeah. great move. Oh, it was, it was amazing. It's on YouTube. People who want to check it out. He just, just rails yeah. his berm, gets flat around this berm and comes out. Yeah. And, dude, like, you guys win the first two rounds. Like, it's on. Yeah. It is on yeah. from here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, San Diego comes and he, he he obviously clips an ankle, clips his ankle in the face of the on the takeoff of that step up or whatever that thing was, and, right? And then that that's kind of derails the season a little bit, and he's getting right. he's getting electrolysis or whatever he's trying to do, but the ankle is is bad, huh? Yeah, so I think it was a small fracture. He didn't really know. He tried to. So I believe we we raced Seattle, and that was another race where I think he got landed on, and it. Excuse me, he. Uh, the throttle, somebody landed on the throttle, and I think it ripped the throttle off the bars or something mm-hmm. like that at yeah. Seattle. And then we get to, I believe it was Georgia, Atlanta. And that was a, I don't know if you've ever seen that race, but that's a pretty, there's like eight yeah. lead changes oh, yeah. in that it's, race. It's, it's, and Damon was the guy that was leading it for a little while. And I actually think that if he could have got past that race, I think he would have been okay. But um, I think Kurdowski cleans him out. Yep, yep, he does. Um and then, um, so he's done with that race. And I think at that point, I think they decided maybe he just ought to sit and just kind of let that thing heal up. And I think he finally got some x-rays and, you yeah. know, they figured out that there was a fracture or something. And, it, it was, you know. it was amazing. Again, the kid just obviously podium San Diego in 89, but now in 90, he comes out and wins the first two rounds. This is RJ and Wardy and everybody, you know, it's just, right. just amazing. Right. So, it was, uh, um, it was an amazing time. Yeah. Uh, so are are things starting to change now? You mentioned between you two and him and and everything else in ninety. Well, you know, so Damon ends up moving. I believe that was the time when he he start he moves out of the house. He bought some property mm-hmm. uh, along the lake there, and I think it was Mooresville or someplace like that. And you know, I start noticing little things as far as like you know his training habits and you know riding and things and you know practice and stuff and. You know, and, you know, we're talking about it and, you know, and he's, you know, Damon, you know, obviously Damon had, you know, a tremendous amount of pressure on him yeah. uh, during that time. And that's why, like, I felt like at, a, you know, at his age and stuff, I, I think that, you know, he just wasn't really ready to handle those pressures of yeah. being, you know, one of those guys, of, you know, basically, you know, he was, he was one of the, one of the top guys, you know, he won two races and, you know, and later on he goes on and wins a few more races. And so, um, yeah, I just started seeing things, you know, things were, were changing and, you know, he had, you know, he had a girlfriend and that kind of stuff. And, you know, but it's, you know, you just start noticing little things and, and, um, and yeah, I, I just think that, I think it would have been better if he just would have stayed in the 125 class another year, was at he, least another year. Was his relationship with his parents okay at this point? I know it goes south later um, on, but I don't know if it was. Yeah, yeah. no, it was, it was still okay. It yeah. was still good at that Yeah, time. it was still fine for that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got to look at this this guy. I mean, everybody is looking at Damon Bradshaw for 89, 90. This is the guy. You know, this is the, right. the next kid. And everyone loved his riding style. Everyone loved the way he talked, the way he acted. You know, he was an East right. Coast guy, too, which I think was important back then. A lot of West Coast guys and. So the East Coast fans had a guy that they could cheer on, you know. Right. So right. I, I, it was a real, um, yeah, just a real like monumental rider for a lot of reasons. 
Um, to this day, I mean, it's incredible the amount of people that when that that I see that talk about Damon. I mean, yeah. And for a guy that I and mean, what did he race like five years, dude? He's got I one mean, regional championship. He, yeah, you know, he's, and yeah. like people like. Tell me, I have people come to me and say, Damon was the guy that I watched when I was a kid, you know? Yeah, yeah. Damon was a guy yeah. that I wanted, you know, that, that, you know, that when he won races and, and, and just his style and his attitude and stuff. And, you know, man, people just remember that guy. Yeah. Incredible. Well, I, I do a lot with him now because of Fly Racing. He's back working for Fly and he goes to a lot of the yeah. races. So I interview him at these, at these races for the, I mean, I've got to know him quite well over the years um, right. through the Fly WPS guys. And yeah, I mean, I ask him a lot, like, dude, do you realize the impact you've had on people, you know, that you may not even realize you were so important and so loved, even though, like you said, he's got one, one, one regional championship, just, right. you know, it doesn't matter for him. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Um, so at the end of 90, he comes to you and, and, or Yamaha comes to you. How does, how do you, uh, how do you stop working for him? How does that happen? Okay. So, um, so I think, um, we ended up going to Japan and then we come back and, uh, you know, it's December and, um, you know, we're cleaning, you know, we're getting ready for next year and doing the normal stuff with the box fans and parts and all the other junk. And so then, um, McCarty comes up to me and he's like, Hey, he goes, I, I want to talk to you. And, and so, uh, I go in and we sit down and he's like, you know, Hey, um, you know, we want to make some changes as far as with Damon and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want, uh, we want, uh, we want you to be our in-house, um, engine guy. And we want Brian Lunas. We're going to bring Brian Lunas in to work with, with Damon. Uh-huh. And then it just like, it, it kind of like floored me. You know, I was yeah. totally unexpected. Yeah. No, no, um, no clue was coming. No, no, no clue. So, yeah. But, yeah. So um, it was a surprise, <laughs> to say the least. Do you think it was a? It was it was it the, the Yamaha thinking Lunas? Lunas worked for RJ. Lunas worked for Hansen. You know, he's, I think he that was, that was it. Was it a Yamaha yeah. thing? Yeah, I think it was. Well, you know, McCarty and well, McCarty and Lunas go back to Suzuki days. Yeah, true, um, true. And so, um, uh, yeah, Lunas was uh, Billy Grossi's mechanic, and uh, McCarty was. Um, Tony DeStefano's guy, so back right. in Suzuki, so they were on you know road together and all that stuff. But you know, like you said, you know, obviously Lunas had you know had worked with a lot of guys and they had produced championships and stuff like that. You know, and and I think that that's um, one of the things that I think Lunas was able to try to offer them and you know say, hey, you know, I can take this young kid and look at what I did with RJ and you know, well, from what I can turn him around. From what I understand, Lunas is Lunas was a very good self promoter. Over the years, he he was uh, yeah yeah the least. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've, I've you know I've talked to a lot of riders who work for him, and yeah. he didn't. Um, I mean, he ultimately didn't produce a championship with him, but he he you can tell he he probably had a way more abrasive uh, personality than you did. It was more yeah. you were probably more like, hey, I know Damon, I want to be friends with him, want to hang out with him. Right, Lunas was probably yelling at him a lot. Right, you know. So right. I guess maybe that was the that was the. The chain, the reason for change, I would guess, is let's try to motivate Damon through this guy that's going to start yelling at him. Right, I think that's was probably the plan. Right, right, and you're, you, it's not in your DNA, it's not in your character, at least as far as I know. Right, so no, um, no, I was, yeah, I was 
pretty easygoing guy. I mean, right. obviously, I felt like, you know, the way that I kind of looked at that thing, and, and this is kind of like going with Brock, because, you know, Brock, you know, well, obviously, Brock was a seasoned veteran, but like, you know, like, I had my job to do, and I did, you know, the best yeah. that I could do, and so you're the writer, it's up to you to do your job, you know, and I don't think that you need me to yell at you to tell you, you know, that you need to go out and practice three times a week, or you need to go to the gym, you know, you should be able to kind of do that you know, at least yeah. at that time, it was like you kind of do that on your own. You know, that that's I, I was the same way. I was the same way as a mechanic. Like, I, I mean, there were times where I got a little upset, but for most of my yeah. riders, for most of my guys, hey man, I'm gonna work on the bike. I'm gonna handle my job. I'm gonna do whatever right. you want, and uh, right. you know, I'm gonna trust you to do the same. I right. had I had one rider who I could tell was mailing it in, and right. I, and so then I just at some point I turned into a grips and graphics guy because I'm just like, well. If he's not trying, <laughs> if he's not right. trying, I'm not trying. But I'm certainly not going to start right. yelling at him. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like we're all professionals yeah. here, right? That was my thinking. Right. So that's what I think too. Yeah, you know. And if you're not doing your job, the cool, I'll just make sure the bike works and and we'll carry on this thing. Um. So you didn't you didn't end up taking the in-house motor job? No, actually, I didn't. Um. Actually, they kept Bob. So uh, Bob Oliver. Mm-hmm. So um. Um. Yeah, I ended up um. I got an offer from my dad. Um, we have, my dad had a business and a family business. And so he offered me, um, a job with him. And, and I, and I think to tell you the truth, I was kind of ready for a change. I think I was getting a little burnout. Uh-huh. I had been, you know, traveling and driving box fans for, you know, eight years or something. And, and then, you know, and then plus the, you know, the last four years or three years of, being, you know, a professional guy and doing all those nationals. And so I think I was ready for a change and I was a little burnt out when that all kind of came down. You know, I told McCarty, you know, Hey, you know what? I just need to kind of do something different. Yeah. And you were and probably, so, and you were bummed out too, I'm sure. You know, the whole Oh yeah. I was yeah. pretty bummed. Right. Yeah, right I was right. really bummed. Huh. So that's yeah. crazy to take a step back like that. Think about that in terms of, you know, you were with the best rider in the world. And then one year later, exactly. you're, you're with your dad, you're with your dad. Exactly. Working yeah. like a regular job. And, and, you know, later, I little did I know that, and this is another thing, is I didn't know that they were going to hire Jeff Emig. And even, like, I know Jeff, and, and to this day, Jeff goes up to me and he says, you know, dude, I goes, when they signed me, I thought you were going to work on my bike. And yeah. I go, dude, I go, they never told me anything about it. They never said anything to me. Yeah, yeah. They, and he's like, yeah. no, go ahead. Yeah, you were. I think that was Butler ended up with it, right? Was that? Yeah, or? Butler ended up working with uh, Emig. Right, yep. right, right. Um. So, all right, so you do that. How long were you out of the industry for? Um, Almost 10 years. Yeah, really, huh? Jeez. A long time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you got back into it with KTM? Yeah, well, you know, I yeah, I wanted to get back into it, and, um, you know, motorcycles was all I knew, and you know how it is. It's like, you know, once it's, it's in your blood and you want to be around it, and so, um, you know, there was they started the Supermoto Series, and to me, the Supermoto series reminded me of kind of like how the Nationals were, right. you know, and kind of more, you know, not so, um, you know, it wasn't so like very, I wouldn't say professional, but like, yeah. you know, there wasn't all these high dollar salaries and all this, you know, all these other things that, that politics that go into you know, the, because motocross at that time, the sport was changing. A lot of money was coming into the sport. You know, riders were getting paid a lot more. And so um, with Supermoto, to me, it kind of reminded me of more back how um, the Nationals were, 
you know, when I first got into it, you know? Right, right. And so, um, and it was a, a series that was just kind of growing. And so um, I ran into Mickey Diamond through Ron Heben, and they were looking for a mechanic. And so I started basically working with him. He had a sponsor. The sponsor would pay me. And then um, just a few months down the road, he even comes to me and says, hey, you know, we need a tech for um, our off-road team. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you be interested in doing that? And I said, yeah, sure. And so then I went to work for KTM, and um, I started working on their off-road team, and I was still actually doing Supermoto kind oh, of, you? Yeah. like, on the side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you, so, did you like Supermoto and off-road stuff um, as, as opposed to the motocross, supercross stuff? Like, did you enjoy the racing of it? I really enjoyed the Supermoto. Yep. The off-road... It took me a little while because I wasn't really, I didn't really do much off-road stuff when I was at Yamaha. Right. But um, I ended up working with um, Kurt Caselli, who, you know, was a top off-road guy. Yeah. And, you know, they he was kind of in a situation similar maybe to, like, Eddie Hicks as far as, like, you know, they didn't really have the means to have a mechanic. I mean, his dad worked on his stuff, and his dad... Um, Rich Caselli was an awesome guy, and actually, Rich taught me a lot about off-road. Oh, cool! And um, and so um, KTM said, you know, we see a lot of potential in Kurt, and you know, the work series and and championships, and we want you to kind of focus on, um, you know, prepping his bikes and making sure he has everything he needed. So I basically worked for Kurt for uh, for two years, for two years as his mechanic, and then. Later, I was building um, the engines for the whole off-road team and, and kind of overseeing, like, the works end of it oh, because cool. we were on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. So it was awesome. I had no idea before we started this pod that you had any of that. I didn't know how you got back into it, but that that's that's really neat. That's cool. Um, zero chance Diamond remembered you from 88? Um, I think he does. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably zero. I don't know. Yeah, you're like, hey, no, I, you're like, hey, bro, I work for Brock. He's like, what, Brock? Huh? <laughs> That's awesome, though. Um, what was Kurt Caselli like? What was he like as a as a guy? Of course, passed away uh, down in Baja, but what was he like? Dude, he was an awesome kid. Yeah. He was he was a good guy. He, um, you know, he had a really good personality. He was really friendly. He was really driven. You know, he he had a lot of goals as far as like, you know, he, I think he kind of seen like how his, you know, he could uh, like his career could unfold, you know, as far as like, you know, you know, the, the works race was like his big priority. Mm -hmm. Then once he won that, you know, he started branching out and, you know, wanted to do Baja and he wanted to do, um, um, those um the races like down in uh, south america oh yeah um, rallies the rally stuff rally yeah. so yeah he wanted he, he got into rallies you know and, and you know he was he was a really talented rider he was and he was a good guy he was i really liked working with kurt where were you when you heard that he had passed away um i was home and somebody who was it uh somebody from ktm called me and uh told me if I had heard about Kurt and then um I found out that you know they had they he had crashed down in Baja yeah. um on that last like the last leg like the last part of it you was know it? yeah yeah I think it was and wow. so um yeah I mean and well you know and I don't know if you know this but uh his dad had passed away a year maybe before that oh, or really? maybe a little bit yeah yeah his dad 
um, had some kind of illness, and his dad had just uh, kind of unexpectedly right. um, had passed away, Rich. And so, um, but yeah, um, yeah, some people from KTM had called me and told I knew that that race was going on. I didn't know anything about the results. And then right. later, um, uh, yeah, I heard about it through some people at KTM. Uh, I knew that yep. had called me and told me about it. And I was, yeah, pretty bummed. Sad deal, whether it's him, whether it's Danny Himmel back in the day. Yeah, uh, you know, just, yeah exactly. Yeah, just sad way to, 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 to perish. And, and But, I, I mean, they're doing – I don't know if you want to go with the, they're doing what they loved when they when they pass away, but man, right. you know that's yeah, you never want to he- see that or hear that. So, yeah. Um, what was the what was the best race you ever saw as a mechanic that you were that your rider was a part of? Was it that Osaka race? Was it something else? Um, man, I think I think the Osaka race was yeah probably one of the best races. I mean, as far as you know, like I said, yep, unexpected. Um, I mean, the Miami race is a pretty awesome race, yeah. uh, yeah. that, that Damon won. And like you said, he fell all those times and, um, um, well, and then, well, with Mickey Diamond, the supermotor race. So like, I don't know if, I don't know if there's any kind of video or anything, but, um, they had like the grand finale in Reno yeah. and I think Mickey was, he was in. He was so him and another rider were battling for the championship, and I believe Mickey had to win the race. And Mickey makes a pass on the last lap. Oh no uh, way! He passes, yeah, he passes him on the last lap, right before. Actually, he kind of I, they hit, and the other guy goes down, and Mickey ends up crossing finish line and and wins wins the race and the championship for oh. the Supermoto Open Championship. Yeah, yeah, that was actually a pretty good race too. Yeah, so. um but yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of hard. I mean, I've seen so many different races, and um, yeah. But I mean, I love racing. I love yeah. to this day to watch it. You yeah, know? yeah. You still go um, to the races a lot, right? You still, yeah. Um, I don't go too much to races. I'll, I mean, I'll go to like Anaheim. Um, this last year we went to San Diego, which was mm-hmm. the, the 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 mutter race with the, oh, yeah, right. the lime and all that. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Um, but um. But I don't really go to nationals too much. I just I can't take being out there that long. Yeah, um, yeah I, I I understand that. That's that's for sure. It's it's not easy. Um, yeah. Do you? Yeah. Besides Glover's trophy, you got any other cool stuff memorabilia that you've kept over the years? Do you have any front number plates or anything like that? Or you know, man, I wasn't really. I kind of kicked myself because I wasn't really a memorabilia guy. Really? I, mean, I don't yeah. know. I wasn't really like thinking that far in advance. I mean, like like I go into. Steven's garage and he's got some pretty cool number plates from yeah. like Mike Bell and Bowen and all the guys and man I never really collected any of that stuff. No you gear? Know, I don't you don't know. have any jerseys? You don't have any jerseys or pants or anything? I don't have anything. God, Chavez, come on. I know. I, I know. Uh, I got all this stuff from the riders I work for and and, and team I know. I and just, everything. Yeah. Dude, I, I just never, I don't know, I just was never into that. I never yeah. really, I was just in the moment, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, what was the worst bike you worked on? Got to be a Yamaha in there somewhere, right? Uh, what was the bike that your rider just hated? Couldn't stand it. I think it was, yeah, it's got to be those Yamahas. I mean, it's got to yeah. be like the, like in like 83, Yeah. Uh, that one bike, the one Yamaha that had that, it had that that a valve thing from the shock that was attached to the brake. To the oh, rear the ba- brake. that was eighty five. That was a bass. The bass, the bass system. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the bass system. <laughs> that was pretty bad. Um, yeah. I didn't actually work on the, the. We had those 
um, those work spikes that had that link that used to like it had like it was mounted on top of the swing arm, but it made oh, like a ninety degree thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that thing was pretty bad too. Um, so. Yeah, the brake activated suspension system that everybody took off and threw in the garbage right away. Right, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. those those weren't good at all for sure. Yeah. I'm still blown away that Glover bought some Showa factory stuff and was able to run it. <laughs> now I'm going to go through my magazines, Chavez, and look at photos. And, yeah. Yeah, and check it out. I, how did he get the brake to work and the spacers and everything? How did that work? Dude, I don't even remember. All I remember right. is he's handing me a set of forks. He goes, he goes, put these things on. And I'm like, where did you get them from? And he goes, oh, I, you know, yeah. I, I was able to work a deal and this and that. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, and, 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 I, and like you say, I was surprised that like McCarty and those guys, I think at that point they were just like, you know, let's just let him do what he wants to do. And, you know, at the end of the year, we'll be done with it. Right. You know, I right. think it was just kind of that thing. Yeah. And so, yeah. But anyway, that's what we ended up running. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, wow, man. What a what a career. What a, some bunch of cool things you've done, man. Uh, to say you've worked for Damon Bradshaw at the height of Damon Bradshaw power, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. You know? I, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, sometimes you don't really even think much about it, and then yeah. people will come up to me and, and, like, you know, people that I work with know that, you know, I worked with Damon, and, yeah. you know, and, and then, uh, like, they'll, and, I, and I'm not like the, you know, I'm not one of those guys that goes around going, yeah, you know, I worked with this guy or I worked with that guy or whatever, you yeah. know, but, um, you know, people will find out and they'll go, well, you really worked with that guy and you yeah. worked with Bradshaw. And then, like I said, and, and these people, like they remember him and they go, man, he was such an awesome rider. He had a great style and he was aggressive and he had the, you know, the racing attitude and yeah, uh, it's, I, it's pretty cool to be, I do actually have a picture of him and I was a magazine cover. Oh yeah. I have that thing. And it's, uh, it's, it, we went to the, um, trophy to nations race in Sweden. And I think we're, um, we're like getting ready for the start of the race and him and I are kind of like um side by side in a sense and um it's just like a headshot thing and it's it's actually a pretty cool picture. Oh that um, that was the year he rode 125s and he crashed got knocked out yeah, right? Oh, exactly. Yep. The bike yeah. was garbage too that bike. That, that yeah, was a garbage, it was bad. That was a garbage 125. It was too. pretty bad, yeah. Um you know who would have picked your brain a lot at uh, Kawasaki was Williamson, I'm sure. Him and I are Bradshaw guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I didn't, I, you know, when Mikey was there, I, he, you know, he was pretty busy as far as like, you know, with all his guys that, you know, he had a laundry list of guys that he's worked with, uh, yeah. you know, as far as yeah, yeah. Stewart and Villapoto and all that stuff, you know, and, and, uh, him and I would and, just start talking about Bradshaw at the races and just be, right. like, just be like going, nobody would be one time. I think we were with RV and we're just like, dude, you would have nothing for Bradshaw back in the day. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, get the fuck out of here. And we're like, dude, right. you, yeah. you would have nothing for Damon. If, if you should, if, if, if Damon was in his prime, right. You know, you'd be done. Yeah. He was a good guy. He was an awesome guy. And like I said, you know, mentally, he was the only guy that I knew that if he really, like if he said, I want to win this race, he would do everything in his power to yeah. win that race. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was amazing. yeah, just just that's it. Do that's it. it. Yeah, um, I've actually got him coming over here in Vegas in studio here shortly uh, for our uh-huh. show, and then uh, it's gonna be awesome. Can't wait to have it. So that should be a lot of fun. I got to take down my picture of chicken I have on the wall, though. <laughs> he hates chicken. Oh God, him and chicken. <laughs> There's still him that rivalry. Yeah, yeah. Him, you know, like to me, it's like chicken and him are a complete opposites. You know, yeah. it's like yeah, yeah. you know, if you took Damon and you made him, you know. 180, you know, turn Damon 180, that would be chicken, you know? It'd yeah. Be like, 
Oh, man, that's that's funny. Well, I kept you a lot longer, Chavez, and I said I apologize, man, but I can't get enough of the story. So, um, Yeah, no problem. That's Anytime, awesome. Steve. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, I really appreciate the time on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast brought to you by Maxis and Alpine Stars, uh, Mike Chavez from Kawasaki. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, and we'll see you down the road. Okay, we'll see you, Steve. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. I was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck because that he never said sorry. Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think yeah. he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled fifth and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. Been no problem. My my ego got in the way, you know. The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could you sit there, you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that air I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. As the days and the months and the years.